Again, we didn't plan that song to lead into the message this morning, but if you take a look at your, uh, your note sheet, you'll see the title of the message is, Our Riches Because of Christ. What a great blessing we have. And that song reminds us of all that God has done for us. Not all of it, because you know, we'd be here still singing all morning long. But reminds us of some of the things that God has done and given to us as blessings that are ours because of Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity we have to worship God in song and, thank, and say thank you to Jesus for His willingness to go to the cross Take my sins and your sins upon himself and give us everlasting life in exchange. And by the way, children, if you would like to, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Um, Miss Amanda is back there with her helper and uh, look forward to you having the opportunity to be in her class this morning. But again, uh, the riches that are ours, you know, we just stop and think about those things and it brings great encouragement to us, does it not? Um, we think about salvation. In and of itself, salvation is, there's no other way to be saved other than the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the only way. And that's a great blessing. But as a result of that salvation, there are so many things that spin off of that. As a result of our salvation. Um, in fact, why don't you tell me some of those things? Just shout them out. The results that are blessings of ours because of salvation. What are some of the blessings? Eternal life. One more time. Yeah, a relationship. We were estranged, but not anymore. Once your enemy, now what? Seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Yeah, what else? Steve? Uh, the only way to understand Scripture properly is once you get saved, the Holy Spirit resides in you and helps you understand God's Word. Yeah, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you pick up the Bible and you read it, you're like, what is that saying? I don't get it. Well, yeah, of course you don't get it because... It's, you, you don't understand the language, you don't understand, you don't have the relationship, you don't have the interpreter who is living within you to help you understand God's word. Anything else? A friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? Um, before we were enemies. You know people who don't know Jesus as their Savior and you start talking about him, what's, their, what's most often their response? Don't talk to me about him. I don't want to hear about him. I don't need to hear him. I don't need him because I'm all set in my own life. Well, you know what? You're headed in the wrong direction, my friend. You're never going to get to where you need to be for all of eternity without Jesus as your friend. Yeah, those are some great things, some wonderful blessings that are ours because of our salvation, our riches in Christ. So this morning we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture that reminds us how rich we are. Now, I don't care if you're sitting here and you think you might be the poorest person who has ever lived. 
Or you're sitting here and you think, you know, I'm pretty good. I, I've got everything I need. I don't need anything else. I, I've got it all figured out. I've got my bank account, which is pretty healthy, and I've got my retirement all set up. And I, I'm in good shape. Can I tell you something? You don't know how rich you are outside of Jesus Christ. Our riches are enormous because of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we're going to spend some time this morning talking about the riches that are ours because we know Jesus Christ. Yesterday, we had our Family Fun Fall Festival. And yes, we had the fire department here making delicious barbecue chicken. We had all kinds of cold drinks that were ready and available. We had somebody here with probably some of the best popcorn that you could ever get, making cotton candy, making nachos. We had people painting faces, and I was going to get mine painted, but we ran out of time. Um, I, I asked Amanda, I says, can you do a church... Hey, listen, can you, can you paint the church logo on the side of my face? And she said, well, I can try, uh, but we ran out of time. Right, Carl? Uh, Carl, Carl and I we were going to get something done together, but we just, we just, didn't, get, just didn't have enough time. Um, but anyway, we had face painting, we had the bounce houses, and, and you'll say, we had so much going on. But you know, what the reason, you know why we did that? Because we want others to know the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The riches that are, yes, we opened our grounds. We opened our building. We opened our hearts to our community and to those areas around us. We opened our hearts to people that we never met before because we want them to know Jesus. We want them to understand all that God has done for them. You know, we were setting up here on Friday and uh, there were a few people here, and thank you for coming on Friday. We had just the right number of people. We could have, if you would have showed up, we wouldn't have wasted your time. We would have put you to, to work. But we had a, a good turnout Friday to get things ready for Saturday. And somebody said, the weather's going to be beautiful. God's given you a great day. And, I, you know, I knew that because I, I, can I be honest though? I've been watching the forecast for as long as you could watch the 10-day, 14-day, whatever forecast they give you. And I've been watching it. It's it's going to be good weather. It's going to be good weather. Thank you, Lord. But when he said that, I was like, that's all of God. And you know what? Because God is giving us such a good day, he's going to give us a great day as a result. And it was a great day. Can I tell you something? There was somebody on the ground yesterday. Sorry, <laughs> that I never thought would step on the grounds of this church. Yeah, that's God. And we had the opportunity to show the riches of Christ to everybody that was here. They, the walking sticks was a huge hit. And when they were working on walking sticks, they got the gospel. Larry set up a whole page. I don't know how often he was able to communicate that, but the history of the staff. It's not just a walking stick. It was an opportunity to say, hey, God's rod and staff, they comfort me. They give me hope. It's, it was a great day to talk about the riches of Christ. What a blessing. And you guys all made that possible. So thank you so much for your work and for your help. 
we're going to open God's Word this morning to a passage of Scripture that talks about the riches of Christ. You might, you might in your mind be thinking, all right, I know where pastor's going. And, and you're, you might be right. I'm going to tell you, in fact, it's on the screen already, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a great book. It's a book that talks about how Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the head of his body as a church, as a local body of believers who is committed to this book and teach this book and preach this book and share this book. Jesus Christ is the head of our church. You might say, well, pastor, you're the pastor. Yeah, I'm the pastor, but I... I just represent Jesus. Sometimes I do it well, sometimes I could do it better. <laughs> My wife reminded me that on Friday when I was given the FedEx guy who doesn't speak very well, very good English, I was giving him an earful. They were supposed to deliver our microphones. And, I, and they, they came on Wednesday. We missed them by 10 minutes. They wouldn't leave it because there wasn't a signature. And I called him up, it'll be here tomorrow. So my wife came over and spent from 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock here waiting for FedEx. And they never showed. Now if it would have been me waiting there, I would have been frustrated for myself, but I was more frustrated for my wife. And I called him up and I said, hey, listen, you guys told us you were going to be here. And you never showed. What happened? You told us we had to be, I said, could you give us a shorter window? Nope. Uh, sometime between 8 and 8 we'll be there. So I was frustrated. And I gave them, I, mean, I didn't say anything bad or nasty. I just questioned their ability to do what they're supposed to do. I mean, that's what they do, right? They deliver packages. And they didn't do it right. I mean, if they would have said, we're not coming till Friday, okay. But now it's not Friday anymore, it's Monday. That didn't go over so well either. So I told him, I said, well, I said, you, have, you had Thursday, you had Friday, you had Saturday. Any one of those three days, you could have delivered the package. Oh, we don't, we're not going to be able to deliver till Monday. Okay, okay. And the second call, I was much more calm and reserved but yeah and so you know what happened yesterday and it's Ezra's Ezra gets the credit for it we had to hang around a little bit longer for Ezra because he was busy doing something I won't tell you what he was doing but he was busy doing something okay otherwise we would have all left and guess who showed up at a little bit after five FedEx wow they came ahead of schedule but still late anyway um I tell you that to tell you, sometimes I don't live out Jesus as well as I could or should. And you could probably tell stories, if you're willing to be honest, about how you don't do it either. But you know what? God still wants us to live out Christ before him. He wants us to tell about our riches. He wants us to share the riches of Jesus Christ because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to represent him in this world. Now, if you... I was going to say if you won the lottery, but maybe you wouldn't tell everybody about it. But if you got a new job or you got a promotion at work, wouldn't you tell people about it? Wouldn't you share that good news with people? 
because God is blessing you with more riches, more abundance. Your, your employer smiled on you and says, hey, I like the job you're doing. I'm going to give you a dollar raise or whatever it is. I'm going to give you more money. It's going to make you richer in, your, in their minds. It's going to make you a better person because you're going to have more. You know what? The riches that we're talking about here this morning have nothing to do with what the bottom line is of your bank account has nothing to do with the, the, the niceness or the not niceness of the car you drive around in. doesn't matter how many garages you have attached to your house, how many bathrooms you have in it, how many bedrooms you have in it. None of that matters. Even though the world says that's a reflection of how well you're doing. You and I have riches that are beyond our wildest imaginations and those riches come in Jesus Christ. And I, right now, as I'm thinking about it, I did not put the text in there, did I, Timothy? All right, so we're going to open our copy of the Scriptures this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read together Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and we are going to try to digest the amazing riches of this passage of Scripture. We're going to read it, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into studying it together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Would you stand with me? In fact, you know what? I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to read it, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Follow along, please, as I read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Whew. That's all one sentence, by the way. From the beginning of what we would call verse 3 to the end of verse 6. All one sentence. That's a long sentence, but there's so much in it, we're going to unpack it in just a little bit. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory." In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Wow! 
Is there good stuff in that text or not? Praise the Lord. And maybe we'll get through it all. I'm not promising that we will. That's my intention. But Doug already told me, he says, either we're going to be here all day or you're going to go through this really quick. Let's pray and we'll see how the Spirit leads there. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. You're a great God. Oh man, we just read an amazing passage of scripture that tells us how rich we really are, how blessed we are to be your children. Thank you for all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, bless our time together as we unpack this amazing passage of scripture. May it encourage us, may it challenge us, may we be blessed because we understand better our riches in Christ Jesus. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here we go. We're presenting the book. What book are we presenting? Well, we're presenting the book of Ephesians, which is part of a larger book. And of course, you know what that book is. You could say it's part of the New Testament or the Christian scriptures. Or you could say, you know what, it's part of the Bible. And all of those things will be true. And Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is challenging and reminding and encouraging the Ephesian believers all that they have in Jesus Christ. So he's presenting the book. He gives us the purpose of the book. He talks about the church, Christ's body. Paul broke it down in his letter. Uh, He says, I'm writing to you who are in Ephesus, and he wants them to understand a few things. He wants them to understand that Jesus is the head of the church, the head of his body, which, by the way, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's been building it since the day of Pentecost. He's going to continue to build it until when? I heard it. The rapture. Yeah, he's not done building his church. And even though you may talk to people and they they may say, well, the church isn't what it used to be. Maybe, but you know what? Who makes the church? You and I. We make the church. If the church ain't what it used to be, what's the problem? It's not Jesus, because he never changes. It's us. If there's a problem with the church, it's us. And if there's a problem, we've got all the tools we need to fix the problem, plus we have the Spirit who lives within us to help us understand the problem. Okay? And I'm not saying that there's a problem here, but I'm saying that there are people who think that there's a problem with the church. No, it isn't the problem with the church. It's the problem with the people that either make up the church or that should make up the church. Okay, so Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is the head, and sometimes that's where the problem is, because people don't recognize Jesus as the head, right? They think other things or other people or other organizations are the head. No, they're not. If we don't start with who's the head and get that sorted out first, then we're not going to have anything but problems. So Paul says Jesus is the head of the church. It's his body. So I don't have any right to do what I want to do with his body. I have to do what he wants me to do with his body. And you have to do what he wants you to do with the same body, because we're all part of the same body. 
All right? So he, he wants us to understand that Jesus is the head. And then he wants us to understand that this is the way we live, this is the way we walk, this is the way we do the Christian life. You see, the Christian life breaks down into two parts. It breaks down into doctrine, and that's not a dirty word. It breaks down into doctrine, and, it walk, and then it breaks down into walk. And the doctrine determines how you walk. You can't have one without the other. Okay, You have to have them both. So we have the doctrine and we have the walk. Doctrine speaks of our position in Christ, the riches that are ours, and the walk is the practical section that deals with our sanctification, how you and I are different from those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. That word sanctification, we've talked about it many times here at Calvary Baptist Church, and and it, it breaks down into a couple of different ways. Sanctification, positional sanctification is the day I trust Jesus Christ. He takes me from the world and places me into the family of God. He guarantees that I will have everlasting life. When I die, I'll go to heaven. I'm no longer separated, estranged from him. I am part of his family. He places me in his family. That's positional sanctification. The next is what we would call progressive sanctification. And by the way, these, all these P's have been, were developed long before I started preaching, so it's not, I don't take credit for the alliteration in those, okay? So we got, we got positional sanctification. We have progressive or practical sanctification. That's where you and I begin from the day of salvation to start living like Jesus. And because for the first time we get saved, we don't know that much about Jesus, We don't walk that much like Jesus, okay? But the more I read the Word of God, the more I study the Word of God, the more I practice the Word of God, I become more and more, I should be anyway, becoming more and more like Jesus. That's why it's called progressive. As I read the Bible, because that's where God tells me how to live my life, as I read the Bible and study the Bible and apply it to my life, I should start to look a lot more like Jesus than I did the day I got saved progressively moving in the right direction to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then the last one, we sang about it in the song, is perfect sanctification, or you might call it glorification. It's that day when I read about it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when I see Jesus face to face, what happens to me? I become like him because I see him as he is. And that's when we, hallelujah, thank you. Because the, what we're striving for in the here and now becomes a reality when I, when I get into his presence. Sanctification is what Paul wants us to understand and how we live our lives and how we walk according to the word of God. How we're different from the world. That's the purpose of the book of Ephesians. Okay? Now Paul talks about the people who received the book, who received the letter that he was writing. And the reason I'm including the who in the letter, I want you to understand that the who in that letter should look a lot like the who that is sitting in this room this morning. Okay? The things that were true about them are true about us. Okay? There's some great lessons that we can learn from those believers who lived in Ephesus. I want you to first of all notice that Paul called them saints. Now, we have some saints sitting in this room, right, Kean? Are you a saint? Orrin, are you a saint? Evan, is he, I don't know where he is. He would call himself, even Mary Jo, call herself a saint. My wife used to be a saint. 
Um, oh, she, it just dawned on her now. Okay, Mark, can you just show us what's on your shirt there? Yeah, it says saints. Yeah, Cortland Christian Academy saints. Saints, right? That's a name, that's a label, that's a tag that they're wearing. Oh, there he is. There's another saint right there. Um, but then there's saints. And I'm not talking about those that a particular church has uh, presented them after they've died with this label that says, you are Saint so-and-so, Saint Ignatius, and Saint other uh, people who were, part, who were very instrumental in the forming of their church. I'm not talking about those saints, because I don't know if they're saints or not. But I'm talking about the rest of us, all of us that are in this room, who know Jesus as our Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't matter if you go to CCA, you ain't a saint. Okay? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not a saint. It doesn't matter how you live your life, you're not a saint. If you're here this morning and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary, can I tell you something? You're a saint. You don't have to wait till you die for somebody to say, boy, that person's a saint. Paul says, and who's he writing to? He's writing to the Ephesians. And so he says to them, you are called saints. Right there in verse 1, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a saint. doesn't mean you're perfect. Don't leave this building this morning. The pastor said, I'm a saint, I'm perfect. No, he never said that. He said you're a saint, and you're in the process of sanctification, but you're not perfect, and neither am I. I shared that, my experience with FedEx with you. That shows I'm not perfect, Okay. We're all in the process. But Jesus has done a work in our heart and a work in our life that when God looks at us, He sees the finished product. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't see me necessarily as a work in progress. He sees me complete in Christ as a child of God who is finished because Jesus finished the work. They're saints. Paul called them so. The Ephesian believers set a standard for all believers, if you will, in the way that they lived life. And Paul outlines that for us, and we're going to look quickly at it. We see in the text that they labored hard for Jesus. They worked hard for Jesus. And you know what? When you and I do something um, with the right reasons and the right motivations, we're doing it for Jesus. When we ask you to serve here at Calvary Baptist Church, we're not Yes, we're asking you to serve one another in the body. And sometimes people struggle with, I don't want to do that. For them, no way. I'm not. Can I help you understand? When you mow the lawn out there, you're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for Doug or Dave. And even though we're doing it, or I shouldn't say we're because I've only done it a couple times, but even though they're doing it to make our grounds look nice to be a good testimony in our community, they're not doing it for our community either. They're doing it for Jesus. 
When you come in here and you pull that door in the office closed and grab one of those two machines that actually aren't working very well anymore, um, and you start cleaning around here, and you start vacuuming in the worship center, and you vacuum down the stairs, and you grab that dust mop that's probably dirtier than it should be, and you start mopping down, or you start running the dust mop in the, in the basement to clean up, you're not doing that, at least I hope you're not doing that for me, because I might not even notice it. I do sometimes, but not all the time. You're doing it for Jesus. Doing it for the Lord. These guys sitting back here, they're not doing it for the people online. They're not doing it so you can hear me better. I hope they're doing it for Jesus. That's where our service is. Everybody that showed up yesterday to do something, whether it was painting faces or serving drinks or going around making sure the vendors had everything they needed, you weren't doing that for me. You're doing it for Jesus. And that takes hard work. When you come to mow the lawn, don't come here thinking you're going to get it done in half an hour. About three hours, right? When you come here to clean the church, by the way, I don't keep track. We don't have a little time clock that you can punch. I got here at 11 o'clock and I left at 4. It takes you about three hours to clean the church. We have somebody who comes, and I love it. She says, I'm cleaning toilets for Jesus. Yeah, you are. Keep it up. Doing good work. Laboring. Now, I'm not just talking about physical labor either. Because to some of us, that's very easy to do. We can work all day long. Some of us, <laughs> when I wrote my resignation letter to Tractor Supply, I told them, I said, one of, the, <clears throat> one of the things I've learned at Tractor Supply is that 50 pounds weighs more than 50 pounds used to weigh. When I lift up a 50-pound bag of feed, I used to be able to lift that up pretty easily. When I lift it up now, it takes a little more effort. They thought that was funny. I was being very serious. Hard work. We can do it all day long or all night long, right, Mark? You should pray for Mark because he's finding out that working all night long isn't as easy as he thought it was going to be. But you know what? Our work, our physical labor is not what it's all about. We did what we did yesterday to share the gospel so that people would know we love them, so people would understand that Calvary Baptist Church is not just a building in Preble. Calvary Baptist Church loves the people of Preble and the people of Homer and Tully and Cortland and as we go further out, Lafayette and whatever. We, we want people to know that we love them and we want people to know that we love Jesus and because we love Jesus, we want you to know the Jesus that we love. The Jesus that saved our souls. The Jesus that is in this book. Because you know what? There's a lot of Jesuses out there, or at least things that they want you to think can do the same thing that Jesus does. But there's only one Jesus. He's the one that hung on a cross and died in our place. That's the Jesus that we want people to know about. And that's what the Ephesian believers were laboring hard at, and that's representing Jesus. We see also that the Ephesian believers were long-suffering. 
What does that word mean? Just reverse the two words. Long-suffering means to suffer long. We would maybe use the word, probably doesn't quite do it justice to the actual meaning of the word, but we would often substitute the word patience there. Or patient. When you're a patient in the doctor's office, you have to be patient for the doctor. But other than your time, that doesn't usually cost you anything. Oftentimes, being long-suffering costs you something personally. Hurts you in some way or another. You suffer long. The Ephesian believers were long-suffering. They also loathed what was evil. If you want to hate something in this world, hate what is evil. Don't hate the person who's doing the evil. Jesus said, pray for them that despitefully use you. Don't hate the person but hate the evil, hate the sin. We live in a world where doing what is ungodly has been heralded as the right way to live life. Sometimes it's hard not to dislike the person, get mad at the person, but that doesn't help the situation. We need to dislike, we need to hate what is evil and love the person in spite of what they're doing, as difficult as that is. They literally investigated what their teachers were teaching them. Paul was teaching them truth. But you know what? They didn't just believe it because Paul was teaching it. They searched the Scriptures. They wanted to make sure that what Paul was teaching them was truth, and they found out, hey, you know what? He's, he's telling us the truth. It is true. They investigated what he was teaching. And then we see that they were not lacking in their desire to do what was right. They didn't lack in their desire to honor the Lord with their lifestyle. But you know what? As much as they were doing all of those things, if we were to turn to the book of Revelation, you know, John wrote to the seven churches of Revelation. You know what he wrote about the church in Ephesus? He wrote some very good things, but then when he gets down to the end of his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, I have one thing against you. Anybody know what that one thing was? You have left your first love. Even though they were doing all these things, they left their first love. We might say they lost the joy of their salvation. They, they weren't as passionate about the things that they were doing. They lacked in their faithfulness, if you will, to some degree. Something that brought great displeasure to the heart of God. The fact that they were not as faithful, as on fire, as loving as they once were. He told them that they had to repent. He wanted them to return to their manner of living prior to their departure. Start it over again. Start like you were just newborn, just freshly born again. You know, when we first got saved, we were excited, we were in fire, we were enthusiastic, we couldn't get enough of it. Where are we now? I'm not saying, I'm not making a judgment on anybody. I'm just asking the question, where are we now? Here's what we can take from the Ephesians. 
We, we can put it into practice in our own lives. We should labor hard for the Lord. I've told you before, some of the hardest days of work in my life have been ministry-related. When we, when we built the church in South Africa, I have one picture. I, I love it. Filthy, filthy, dirty-looking person with a hat on his head. Um, we were pouring concrete. We were mixing concrete. And you know how it is with concrete. We, weren't, we didn't have mixing machines. We had shovels. And we were mixing the dugga. And the dust from the concrete was flying all over the place. And you're putting in the stones, which are dirt. I just ask you, you know, when your kids go out there and play on that rock pile, and they come home, they're not clean, are they? They're dirty. They're filthy because of all the dust and stuff. And we're mixing that stuff up, and we're digging holes. And I, for some reason, we didn't, it wasn't on sight. I had to go someplace, and I saw myself in the, in the mirror. I'm like, wow, that's quite a sight. And we had this one lady in our church who loved to hug people. Got back from the, probably the lumber yard, and, and I walked up to car and I said, "Hey, you want a hug?" No. She didn't want anything to do with all that dirt. A very hard day of work. When we built this building, we put some hard days, some long days into doing this work, working alongside a church care construction. We worked hard. All of us worked and painted and did drywall and did staining on stuff. And then when we had the flood, we. We worked hard and people came alongside and joined us and we worked hard together. Those are good days. But not necessarily what the Ephesians were talking about when they talked about hard work. They labored long for the cause of Christ. They didn't quit. Can I ask you guys that were here from 8, 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday all the way till about 5 o'clock? Were you tired when you got home? But what kind of tired was it? Was it a, oh, what a terrible day. That was hard work. Or was it a, that was a, that was a good day. Was it a good tired? I hope it was. I hope you were laboring hard representing Jesus. We should labor hard for the Lord. Long-suffering. We need to wait on the Lord. Another hard thing to do is to wait on the Lord. But what is, wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord to do His work and to do His will and not to get out ahead of Him, but to wait. Sometimes that's hard, depending on your personality. You want to go out and lead the way. But sometimes Jesus is saying, no, 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 slow down. Let's take it in my speed, in my time. You don't have to get out there so quickly. You got to do it the right way. You got to be patient. You got to trust me. You got to let me lead you in the path. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trusting the Lord and lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. We also should learn to loathe what is evil. This would include the, the righteous anger that Scripture reminds us about. But we have to be careful not to let our anger get in the way of the righteous anger that God wants us to demonstrate. When we see what is evil, we need to stand against it, but we need to stand against it in love. Sometimes we get so set on standing against it, we forget the love part. Sometimes we're so passionately presenting what we think is the gospel, and we don't do it in a loving way, and people walk away and say, I hate that person. They're not nice. And so we have an offensive message. Would you agree with that? 
The message of the gospel is offensive. I mean, how many conversations uh, do you start off, hey, you know what, you're a sinner. I'm a what? How dare you call me that? And dare start speaking about specific sins and calling it sin. Wow. You know, sometimes we have to earn the right to communicate that stuff. It's about building relationships with other people so that we can share them with them in love, the truth. Now, you're not going to have the opportunity to build relationships with everybody you share the gospel with. But sometimes God wants us to build those relationships and build those bridges before we burn them. Not the bridges, but the people we're trying to get to on the other side of the bridge. Lovingly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should embark on literal examinations of what we're taught. I've told you many times, don't just believe it because I said it. Get out there and take the Word of God and study it and learn it. You can study it just like I study it. If, I plant, if, if the Holy Spirit takes something that I say and plants a seed in your heart and you need to study it out, then study it out further. But literally examine the Word of God so you know what it's saying. Plunge deeper into God's Word. You, as long as we stay here, and even if we stayed here until 2 o'clock, and I can't because I got another appointment at that time, but even if we stayed here till 2 o'clock, we wouldn't plunge deep enough into God's Word to figure it all out. Even in this one passage. There is so much there that we can dig deeper into on our personal studies. And then the last one, can I, can I encourage us, not you, but us, can we be careful not to leave our first love? To let the passion of Christ be present in our lives all the time? We see that Paul called the Ephesians faithful. This characteristic is, those who have, is not a characteristic of those who have lost their first love. If you are faithful to the things that God asks you to be faithful to, then you are going to likely still have that love and that passion and that desire to know Him more and to know Him better. The faithful ones are the ones that take advantage of the opportunities that God brings to them. And you and I, we must strive to be faithful. And faithfulness will then be a demonstration of our love for Christ and that that love is still burning, it's still strong in our hearts, it's still strong in our lives. And you know how we determine that? By asking the question, what things do I let hinder my closeness to Jesus? What things do I let get in between me and Jesus, really, is the answer. We've determined here who the recipients of the letter to the Ephesians is. And we've also determined that we could do, learn from those Ephesian believers and we could emulate some of the things that you have, that we've read here this morning. So I want to ask you a serious question. For those of you who have asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, are you part of the body? And I don't mean just somebody who comes to church here but are you part of the body are you are you part of what drives this body to represent Jesus well that's a question you must answer I can't answer it for you 
I can look down the membership list and I can say, member, 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 uh, attender, attender. And I, I don't do that. I pray for you all the same. But are we effectively reaching others as part of the body of Calvary Baptist Church? Are we faithful to what God wants us to be? And I'm not going to tell you what being faithful necessarily looks like because it might be different for you than it is for me. But are we faithful to what God has asked us to do? And as you examine your life, you can make that determination between you and God. Is your, ba- is your passion, is your love still burning strong for your Savior? Uh, you know what? Let's just stop for a moment and, and close our eyes and, and talk to God about that. Because He's the only one who can help us understand, who can reveal that to us. You know, he's, a, he's amazing. The Holy Spirit is amazing at helping us understand where our heart is. It, am I doing it for the pastor? Am I doing it for the deacons or a particular deacon or, or to impress? Or am I doing it for, for God? Let's just ask God a moment for wisdom and discernment in that area. Let's move on. We've got a few more minutes here this morning. Uh, and so G- Paul was presenting the book, and now we're going to talk about promoting the blessings of Christ. And this is where it gets very practical, okay? And this is where you and I have the opportunities to promote what God has done in our lives. I don't want you to get the wrong frame of mind here. I want you to see that Paul defines the kind of riches that he's talking about when he says, uh, the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. How many people, when you get an insurance policy, you, you look at it and there's this thing in the insur- in the, in, in usually in bold, bigger print, it says, explanation of benefits. Okay? That's what Paul's doing here. He's giving us an explanation of benefits. He's telling you what is ours. He says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know that word every, what does it mean? All of it. Every means all of it. Um, All means all. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the way Paul describes our riches. And again, I don't want you to think that because we're children of God, we can expect or require that God gives us great earthly wealth, okay? That's not a promise from God. You won't find it anywhere in Scripture. And I know that there are, there are churches and there are preachers who will stand up behind their pulpit. They won't stand up behind this pulpit, I can tell you that. But they'll stand up behind their pulpit and tell you, hey, you need to have, if you're really living for the Lord, God's going to give you all kinds of wealth and God's going to give you this and God's going to give you that. You can't find it in the book. It's not there. But the blessings and the riches that are ours are so much better than having a million dollars. You and I have been blessed beyond our wildest dreams. 
And, and here's the thing. If God wants to bless us with earthly riches, he can. But we shouldn't expect him or demand that of him. If God chooses to just simply meet our needs, physically speaking, we should be satisfied with that. We should be content with that. I, I never can figure out those people who preach that kind of a message and then they look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote a lot of our Bible, but he didn't have anything. He wasn't a rich man, physically speaking, materially speaking. He was poor. Jesus never had a home in his life, never had a place to lay his head down that he could call his own. I mean, he owned the whole earth, but, you know, he, he didn't have a house that said that had a title and a deed and all that. It wasn't his. Here's the explanation here. We have complete blessing. Every spiritual blessing. This is a blessing that comes from the Spirit of God or that has spiritual characteristics. Paul describes it as spiritual as opposed to material. He wants us to understand that it is about spiritual things. It's about serving God. It's about living for God. It's about representing God. You and I have every spiritual blessing, and then he moves on and he calls them celestial blessings in the heavenly places. It's a further clarification of our riches, okay? The heavenly places gives us the idea of the spiritual realm as opposed to the earthly realm or the physical realm. So we see that our blessings come from God and not from man. And it's not to say that God can't use people to bless other people because he does. But it didn't come from that person, it came from God because God burdened that person's heart to give to that other person to meet that need. It's a work that God brings about. The blessings that we receive are seen from God and not from man. What what does Jesus warn us about in the book of Matthew? He says, don't lay up your treasures, where? On earth, but lay them up in heaven. Because if you lay them up on earth, moth and rust can break through and steal. Thieves can break in to steal. And moth and rust, you know what moth does to nice clothes, right? That's why you have mothballs. You know what rust does to your car, right? <laughs> Especially living in central New York. It eats away at it. Don't, don't lay up your, ha- your treasures here where the physical things of this earth, the, 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 the results of sin can ruin those physical treasures. But lay them up in heaven because the results of sin have no impact on the treasures that we lay up in heaven. Put your treasures in heaven and not on earth. Celestial blessings. And then he says that they're Christian blessings. He says that these blessings are in Christ. That qualifies the blessing. <laughs> have you ever read your explanation of benefits and it says if you're doing this, it doesn't, it doesn't cover it. If you did this, it doesn't cover it. If you're not in Christ... You don't have the every spiritual blessing, and you don't have them in the heavenly places. If you're in Christ, though, you are eligible for the blessings that come from being in Christ. I want you to see the source of our wealth. It's, 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 like, a, it's like a three-pronged plug, and I meant to bring a South African plug. I was going to show it to you and ask you if you knew what it was, and you probably would say, no, I have no idea what that is. A South African plug has um, about the size of a pencil, three prongs about that size. So that means their outlets have a receptacle that's that size. And there's only ever one outlet 
well, most of the time, one outlet, one, not, not like we have duplex receptacles here. Those are, they're mostly single receptacles with a three-pronged plug. You plug it in, and it, it kind of, kind of shaped like that. The big one that sticks up on the top is the, is the ground, okay? And you stick that in, and it does everything you're supposed to do. Now, we brought some American appliances with us. They, unless they were dual and they work on 220, you didn't want to plug them into a, you couldn't, but you didn't want to like make just a special adapter and plug it. We've made those special adapters because like a razor or a computer takes your American two-prong plug. Um, basically, I cut the end of an extension cord off and I wired it into a South African plug uh, and I told people only use this if you have, if, you, if your thing says it takes 220. One of our coworkers came over, plugged in their Nintendo, plugged that into the zzz, That was the end of it. But I told you, don't do that. The three-pronged plug is a great example of, of the way that you and I have the source of wealth from God himself. Paul expounds on these riches in verses 4 through 6. We see that he allotted for us a place in his family. This is the first prong, if you will. God has a place for us in his family. And it wasn't something that he said, man, I like what you're doing. I want you to be part of my family. He did it before the foundation of time. Before we even came into existence, if we were speaking from human terms, we would say, before your mother and father even thought of you. Of course, we can't say that about God because he knows eternity past, right? He, he, we were in his mind Back then, isn't that a great thought? But before the foundations of time, Jesus, God, placed us into his family. You might be here this morning and say, I don't really have a family. Yes, you do if you know Jesus as your Savior. You're in his family. He placed you there. He allotted a place for us in his family before time ever began. And this word, it does. And we're going to get into some doctrine here, okay? It does have to do with the idea of election. The very fact that God indeed chose from among condemned sinners some who would enjoy a relationship with Him. Not just on earth, but for all of eternity. And He didn't choose you because He thought you might choose Him. He didn't choose you because He knew you would be a good person. He didn't choose you because He thought you might do good things. He chose you for no merit on your own. He chose you to demonstrate His love and His grace upon humanity. Woo! He chose me. He, you know what? It's not like when you're picking up teams to play baseball. You, I want him because he hits the ball hard. I want him because he dives all the time to make a catch. I want him because he never strikes out. No. He chose me, a condemned sinner, to be a recipient of his great grace and to demonstrate that to others. Hallelujah. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he chose me anyway. Before the foundation of time. What did he choose me to be? Other than the recipient of his great love, he chose me to be holy. Hmm. That means to be set apart from the world. He also chose me, get this one, he chose me to be without blame. Literally means to be without spot or blemish. He chose me for that. Chose me. I, I, I don't, sometimes just don't understand why he would choose me for that. 
But we also see that he predestined us. There's another theological word. If you want some theological words, you're going to get them this morning. Okay. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Not only did he choose me to be blameless and holy, but he determined in eternity past that I would be his son. That you would be his son or his daughter. He chose me for that. He predestined me. He adopted me. The word predestined is more than just foreknowledge. Okay? The idea of knowing beforehand that we will be part of his family. Part of sons and daughters. He knew us before time began. He didn't just know about us. He didn't just know that there would be somebody named that name. He intimately knew me and still chose me. What a demonstration of grace. Again, what's my response? Thank you, Jesus. Simply put, Paul is telling the Ephesian believers and you and I today that we have been placed in God's family with all the rights of full-grown sons. It doesn't matter what you're... Oh, I don't even know if I want to say that. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. God has placed you in His family with the rights of a full-grown son. Please understand what I mean when I say it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. Because God's already sorted that out, okay? Whoever thought we'd talk about that kind of stuff. But anyway, you are in the family of God with all the rights of a, of a child of God, the firstborn child of God. Wow, isn't that amazing? You're not going to have to go stand before some other judge and he say, oh, no, it hasn't been five years. You haven't had, the, it's not been in your name long enough. It's not the, no, we have the rights of a full-grown child in the family of God. We have an inheritance and we're not going to get to that this morning. We'll have to get to that next week. But he has predestined us to be in the, into his family. And you know what? Eternal life is just the beginning of that. We have eternal life in glory with the Father. We don't have to worry about if we get too old, where will we live? We're going to live with the Father for all of eternity. Plus, we get to call God Abba, Father. This word Abba, it's an endearing term. It's, it's more along the lines of Daddy. You know, we, ha- we all have fathers. I'm a father. And I hope I was a daddy to my children. I hope I still am a daddy to my children. And, and there's a difference between a father and a daddy. It's that, it's that endear, endearing term. We've been adopted. So what do we say? Daddy. I love you, daddy. I love you. Listen to what MacArthur says in the New Testament commentary. He sums it up like this. To be saved is to have the very life of God in our souls. His own spirit enlivening our spirit. Human parents can adopt children and come to love them every bit as much as they love their natural children. 
They can give an adopted child complete equality in the family, life, resources, and inheritance. But no human parent can impart his own distinct nature to an adopted child. Yet, that is what God miraculously does in every person whom he has elected and whom he has trusted, the one who has trusted Christ. He makes them sons just like Jesus. We're sons of God just like Jesus is. Christians not only have all the son's riches and blessings, but we also have the son's nature. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm going to go one more thing here on your notes. It's number three. He has made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted. Now think about that for a moment. Once your enemy... Now I'm seated at your table. I've been accepted in the beloved. When we think of this word, it may indicate that we're allowed or tolerated, but that's not the idea that Paul wants us to have when we leave this text. Here, accepted means to be honored because of his grace and as a result of his atoning work on Calvary. We have been accepted and honored as part of the beloved. Now, what does it mean to be beloved? Well, as a result of being like Him, we are accepted into the beloved. The children of God are honored right alongside Jesus. We are heirs. We are joint heirs with Jesus as part of being accepted into the beloved. That's what it means to be beloved. What did did God say when Jesus was baptized? And he came up out of the water, the dove as it was, the Spirit says as it was, came down upon him as a dove, and the heavens opened up and God said, what? This is my, my what? My beloved Son, or the Son whom I love. I am well pleased in Him. Listen to what He says, do what He tells you to do. Beloved, you see, that's the title that was given to Jesus from the Father. My beloved Son, my well-loved Son, the one who I love. And now he says, you're part of the beloved. Wow. You and I, given the same name, the same treatment, the same blessing as the Son of God. Why? Because we have that very nature. Now that we've trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. You can mark that spot in your notes. I'm going to ask my wife to mark that spot in her notes so I don't forget where we are next Sunday. Um, But we're going to pick this study up on the riches that are ours in Christ. If we just whet your appetite this morning, that's a good thing. If you want to read ahead and study ahead so you know that I'm telling you the truth, you can do that. I'd be happy to have you do that, all right? So next week, we'll pick up our study in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be at verse, uh, verses 7 through 12, and we'll continue studying what it is that are ours as riches in Christ Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Wow. Uh, as we look at these things that you have lavished upon us, you've poured them out upon us, what a blessing. We... We have so many riches, and we haven't even finished talking about them all, that are ours in Christ Jesus. 
rich beyond our wildest imaginations. Lord, we want to say thank you for what we've learned this morning, been reminded of this morning, and we anticipate learning about more of the blessings next week. Uh, We ask that you would encourage us this week to be in your word, that you would encourage us this week to communicate the blessings that are ours to others so they might be recipients of those same blessings. And Father, use us for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Out, uh, invite people to come join you next Sunday and uh, have a relaxing afternoon.